Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to Hale Varsity Radio, the voice of Husker Nation. Insight, opinion, expertise, with the biggest and best names talking Nebraska across the state. Join the show on Twitter at Hale Varsity and at Schmitz underscore radio. Call in at 402-466-ESPN or 1-800-825-5865. Here's Chris Schmitz. Welcome to it. Wednesday's here. It's Hale Varsity Radio presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Chris Schmidt got the day off. Uh, feeling a little under the weather. So it's uh, Will Wilson and myself taking you through this Wednesday edition of Hale Varsity Radio and UNL. Back out of fall break, back into classes, and that means that Scott Frost met with the media earlier today. We'll get you uh, some thoughts from the coach here in just a little bit, as uh, as well as Mike Babcock coming up here in about 20 minutes. Uh, we want to get your thoughts, though, today. I know we had a caller in yesterday. That was Mike called the show in yesterday while we were doing the best of and said uh, he had some more thoughts on that Minnesota game. I'm sure uh, some other people else uh, out there have some thoughts on the Minnesota game that we didn't get a chance to get to on Monday. Uh, So give us a call today. We're going to continue with the open phone lines here for about the next 15 minutes, as well as open phone lines uh, to wrap up hour one and open phone lines all next hour. You can give us a call 402 466 3776. That's 402 466 ESPN or 1 800 825 5865. You can also tweet at Will or myself. Uh, for Will, find him on Twitter at Willie on the radio. And for myself, at Herbal Essences. Tweet at us. We'll get your thoughts on the show today. We'll get those thoughts discussed. As I said, we have Scott Frost press conference comments coming up here in just a second. Uh, but uh, later in hour two, we have Brad Edwards. I haven't talked to Brad in a few weeks as uh, Brad's going to be joining the show from down in Alabama. His new book, Dynasty by the Numbers, is on newsstands now. Uh, so we're talking with Brad a little about Nebraska, a little Big Ten, and some SEC talk as we get into some national college football thoughts with Brad. That's all coming up a little bit later in hour two. Uh, but again, as I said, Will filling in for Chris today. I guess Will and myself are both filling in for Chris today. Feeling a little under the weather. So, Will good to have you here i mean when was the last time we did a hail varsity show together it's probably been since july it's maybe been a month it's maybe been that well, long we, we haven't had one since football season's gotten underway as uh now we're trying to to kick the bye week blues so it's, it's, uh, it's been that classic bye week struggle of like well the bye week blues I, I i really wish just for the sake of this show that we could be talking about a, like a husker win against minnesota all week but now we got to be all yeah. Down in down in the dumps. Yeah, you know it's it's great because uh, well the bad thing about the bye week is you know when when you have a game the next weekend it takes you about two days to kind of get over the last one. Uh, but because we have a bye week, we have over a week to continue to think about the Minnesota game and, and what it's been doing to Husker Nation. And in, in my opinion, and I, I guess we'll get into this here is 
overreaction. There's been overreaction from the Nebraska fans and Nebraska media here this week. Uh, I mean, we've heard things. I've even seen like some of the, the the fan blog sites saying like, "What happens if we fire Scott Frost in the year? What happens if we go zero and four to finish the year and we finish the season three and nine, and Scott Frost gets gets shown the door?" Like that's the kind of overreaction we're seeing after. Three weeks ago, two weeks ago, we're looking at this going, wow, Nebraska could beat Michigan. Nebraska should have beat Michigan State. Nebraska should have beat Oklahoma. Nebraska could be a top 15 team if they would just play one or two more. Like It, it was overreaction way too far to Nebraska's a great football team, and now we're overreacting to the other side of things of, oh, Nebraska's going to go 3-9 and because they're cursed. Well, uh, you know, you're talking about uh, the the websites writing about stuff. It's uh, you know they they need stuff to write about. Yeah, you and I just talked before the show how this week there's not really much going on. Uh, you and I could be doing that same thing right now. You know, coming out coming up with stupid topics worth uh, you know not really worth talking about, uh, but we're not. You know, other people are. So you know, that's just how it works. Throwing some jabs over there. No, no, that's are. just that's that's media. <laughs> that's that's you know. It's uh, it's common these days. That's not just here. That's everywhere. It's just you know, you know how it is. Click, so, clickbait so, and all that. So, what is the bigger overreaction in your mind? Is is it how the the fans and the media have reacted to this Minnesota loss, or is it how the fans and media reacted to us losing these one score games to some really great teams? Uh, I, I think it's definitely the Minnesota loss uh, because you look at those games against the Oklahoma, uh, Michigan State, Michigan. Uh, we did play those teams tight. Yeah, I, I think about last year's team, how we would have stacked up with those teams, uh, even the year before. I don't think it would have been pretty. Uh, but we could say that there were some pretty spots in those games. That's important. That's important to bring up. It's important to know. But the, the Minnesota loss, like, let's not, you know, it was one game, right? I mean, this is, we're talking about three games where we continue, you know, continue, and hell, put the Northwestern game in there as well. I mean, where we played good. Uh, the Minnesota game, we didn't look great, but it was it was one game. I think that's a little more overreaction than those three games. And it's, I mean, you see the progress. You see the progress of this Husker football team being able to play those teams tight. However, Nebraska this year has strung together a good four quarters once. Maybe, maybe twice if you include Buffalo. Buffalo, they started like a little bit slow, but then they, they had a good three and a half quarters. Well, I guess then the backups came in towards the end of that game and it started uh, to die down just a bit. So... Uh, depends if you count that or not, but Northwestern seems to be the only real four-quarter performance this team has put together this year. So that would lead you to believe that those those reactions to Michigan and Michigan State and Oklahoma that those were the overreactions. Even even Northwestern, uh, whenever Northwestern's been the only game that you've been able to put together a full four-quarter performance outside of penalties, I, I'm close to saying Michigan might have been a four-quarter. Uh, performance. I know the first half was vanilla when it comes to offense. There were some big plays, and I mean, like the only reason Michigan kind of put some points up with one was there's that terrible offensive penalty or the defensive pass interference call. Like you know, there was a few things that happened in that game that just gave Michigan some points. But at the end of the day, I don't think Nebraska's offense moved the ball well enough in the second quarter to call that a full four quarter performance. They didn't. You're right. No, you're right. They, they I, didn't. I would argue that Nebraska-Michigan State was closer to a full four-quarter performance, but then you get, in the, yeah. you, you get in the punt return and the fact that the game wasn't just four quarters, went to a fifth quarter in overtime, and Nebraska very clearly lost that overtime period. Yeah. Where I, it's, just, it's, again, like Nebraska can't string together a full four-quarter performance. And you watch the teams that are in the top 25, and that's what they do. Michigan has won games this year because they've strung together full four-quarter performances. Uh, look at Iowa, aside from... Uh, from this game against Purdue, which you can't really throw that one out. That was a bad loss. But Iowa, that's what they've been doing this year is putting together full four-quarter performances and not 
letting up for a quarter and letting their team back in. They've just been consistent throughout this season, especially on defense, uh, and that's what's led them to grind out some wins this year. Uh, Ohio State in recent weeks has been putting together full four-quarter performances, and I don't want to compare Nebraska to those teams, but that's where Nebraska's trying to get. And if, if you are still not able to put together full four-quarter performances in year four, whenever you have the best talent you've had, is that an indictment on the coaching staff? Is that an indictment on the players? That, I mean, the, the game of football is about bringing the juice for four quarters. And even when Nebraska has done that this year, uh, or been pretty close to doing it, the, the only win they've gotten in those games is Northwestern, who is the worst team on the schedule this year. Yeah, that, that's what sucks. Or the worst Big Ten team on the schedule this year. So I, I, I am conflicted on, on which side of things we're overreacting to. Uh, I, I'm with you, I think, Will, and I'm leaning towards Nebraska-Minnesota being the overreaction, but there are issues within this team that just aren't getting any better. The offensive line, for example, is not getting any better. The running back situation got worse as that game went on, and Ramir Johnson went down, but there were so many options coming into this year at running back, and none of them have been able to hit their stride. So it, it, eh, I, I'm not sure where I'm sitting at here. I think I'm leaning towards that because we're in this bye week here. It's it's Nebraska-Minnesota was the overreaction, but Nebraska fans is just what we do. Yeah. Also, N- N- Nebraskans overreact to no, the do. football team we, in we every do. sense of the word. Sports fans overreact in general. Um, but even looking at the Minnesota game, we know Adrian was banged up. Like, there were a few things uh, we didn't know during the game that might have – uh, pointing towards the outcome of that game. Uh, but nonetheless, it was a disappointing loss. I, I do agree. I think we're on the same page there. We got Pete on the line. Let's get to Pete and his thoughts on this. Uh, Pete, thanks for uh, thanks for calling in the show today. Welcome to Hell Varsity Radio. Go ahead. I got a question for you guys. Sure. If you took the last five minutes of every game that we've lost and turned the negative plays into positive plays, a negative play being a turnover, a fumble, a sack, or a negative yardage play, if you turn those plays into positive plays, what would Nebraska's record be? Well, even if they're not positive plays, even if it's just a running back running back into the line of scrimmage and getting no gain instead of a fumble or an interception or what have you, Nebraska's 6-1? and 6-1, one? and one, Will, would you agree with that? Yeah. yeah. I, would, I would say it maybe lost two games. Yeah, five and two, or, or I guess it would be we're, we're at a seven and one or six and two now at this point, now that we've played the eighth game. So my question would be how far away are they? And if you look at those plays in the last five minutes, how many different players are really making those bad plays? It's not very many. Pete, I, I, I'm with you. However, it's still a, a, a team effort. Like when Adrian's making bad plays, I'm not putting it all on the shoulders of Adrian. It's his offensive line hasn't been helping him out. Uh, you, you've got to you got to establish the run to be able to give Adrian easy throws, and sometimes the, the run hasn't been established there. So, uh, I mean, you're echoing the same things Scott Frost has been saying today. And Pete, thanks for the phone call. Uh, it, it comes down to the fact that Nebraska, while being close, uh, has been close. No, no, they're getting closer against the the teams that you want to be beating to be where you're at, yes. Uh, but Nebraska has been close to being a bowl team in Scott Frost's first three years here. You talk about, um, you know... Close, just close has been the name of the game for the whole Scott Frost era at Nebraska. That's, that's what it's felt like we've been hearing year after year is we're close. Pete talks about the, the negative plays in uh, the last four minutes of these losses. Um, you know, even if you change those 
into positive plays. Um, you know, we we tie the game, maybe even win some of those games. But there's other things other than those last four minutes that's still keeping us uh, down. You know, those games we did dealt with penalties. Um, obviously, the offensive line, there's been a lot of experiments. Some of them worked, some of them didn't. So uh, there's other things outside of the last four minutes. But um, I do want to bring up Kelly, who's listening to the show. Uh, he said uh, Iowa has not been a full uh, fourth quarter team all year. They should have lost to Penn State if it wasn't for the backup quarterback. And they did not play well against Colorado State. Uh, you can't always uh, Co- win. Colorado State's fair. Colorado State's a fair one. But with, with Penn State, I still think they grinded out four quarters. Penn State was the team there that didn't play a full four quarters. And I, I know they didn't have their quarterback. But... Iowa was the team that had a full four-quarter performance there. They stayed consistent throughout the whole game. If Penn State has their starting quarterback uh, Clifford all game, does Penn State win that game? You could make a good argument that they do. They're probably a little safer with the football. But Iowa still came consistent that, those full four quarters, in my opinion. Colorado State's a fair one. That, yeah, that, that, that is. That's, that's a fair assessment. Yeah, they um, play four quarters there. Also, I, I actually really like Penn State. I was trying to find odds for them to make the college football playoff. I couldn't find any, but I, I would have liked that bet. Um, but to get back to, to Pete's point here of, of Nebraska being close, Scott Frost met with the media this morning, uh, first time since the uh, the post game of the Minnesota game, and he did discuss that aspect of Nebraska being close and, and what it's going to take for this team to get over the hump and start turning those close losses into wins. I want to see the same effort, the same intensity. Uh, you know, we our kids have been playing hard; they've been selling out. We're playing tough. Uh, we're making a lot of plays. Uh, we've been a, a play short, an inch short. Um, we got to find a way to get those plays done. And um, we'll keep putting kids in the best situation we know how to. Uh, it's going to happen. They just uh, got to get it over the hump, and, and we got to find a way to get an inch better. The gang sells out. It's always sunny in Philadelphia. Uh, but he mentioned that, the players, guys selling out, you know, uh, that kind of thing. Um, what did you take from that? I mean, mo- it's, it's, it's the same thing we've been hearing all year. It, I mean – we just got to get the win. We just, it, it, it's not any concrete thing. It's I mean, basic. And I, I'm not on the anti Scott Frost train here. I'm just, I'm not trying to be, uh, it's just reaching the point where I'm going, it, it's feels like it's the same story every single year. Does it not? Uh, no, it is. And we get the same, you know, cliche, um, little sentences, you know, what get, you know, be one inch closer. I think that's what they were saying I mean, today. How, right? How many things have we, it's, it's got to get better every day. Uh, we got to clean up the little things. See, you, we, we we just got to learn how to win. You're talking about these media places writing what they are. It's because you. How are you supposed to write a story on that? How are you supposed to write a story on that? You you can't. So that's why I actually kind of understand why all these uh, websites that you're talking about are coming up with these wild topics. You know, it's how do you write a story on that? Um, I mean, the main thing I'm taking away there is he's saying we got to bring the intensity every single day. We got to bring the intensity every. I mean, and that's what we did not see on Saturday. Uh, Nebraska was due for a performance like that. I thought I talked about it a little bit last week. I, I think I talked myself into the fact that, oh, well, uh, this year's team is a little bit different. The talent's there. They haven't had a, a real stinker of a performance since Illinois, and even that wasn't a stinker of a performance from the team's effort uh, point of view. That was more of just like everything that could have gone wrong did go wrong. I don't think that was an effort thing for Nebraska-Illinois. I think they came out and got punched in the mouth a little bit. Such a bizarre game. but Very bizarre game from the the punt return safety uh, to Adrian's fumble scoop and score right before half like everything that could have gone wrong against Illinois did go wrong and I understand a lot more now Scott saying like oh we just came in with the wrong game plan whether or not that's acceptable or not is a topic for a different day we've already gotten into that a lot uh, especially like in the week after the Illinois game but like 
this was the first time this year we really saw Nebraska come out just flat, which has been the story of Nebraska a couple times a year since Scott Frost came to the helm. I think of Illinois last season. I think of Minnesota two seasons ago. Uh, it, it's, it's been the story. And uh, he touched this morning on the lack of juice that Nebraska had in the game against uh, Minnesota and kind of when he noticed and how he, I guess he, how he tried to remedy the fact that Nebraska didn't have enough juice on Saturday. You know, Saturday I think we came off several games in a row where we spent a lot and the guys spent a lot and they poured a lot into it and they poured a lot into preparation for this one they were ready to go I, I didn't notice anything different so I got in the locker room right before the game and it it was good it just there wasn't as much juice and um we did what we could to try to get them going it, it wasn't terrible it just I think they just lacked a little bit of an edge and, and probably coming off three night games and playing an 11 o'clock game on the road. I could have done a little more to, to make sure. I didn't really notice it until before the game. Um, and, I, you know, they still took the field prepared and ready to go. I think going three and out and giving up first drive hurt a little too. Uh, if they weren't ready to play, they wouldn't have responded and came back the way they did. Uh, you just you you don't get what you deserve in football. You get what you earn, and you got to be at your, at your absolute best all the time. Miss us? Come here, brother. Give me a hug. Bring it in for the real thing. We're on call for you. Catch the podcast at hailvarsity.com, the ESPN Lincoln app, or download them on iTunes. Saddle up, partner. Back to Hail Varsity Radio. Back in on a Wednesday here on Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. It's Elijah Herbal and Will Wilson in today for Chris Schmidt, who uh, should be back in on the show tomorrow. Uh, but excited now to welcome in Husker historian and author Mike Babcock. Find him, follow him on Twitter at MDBabs. And Mike, been a while since uh, I've gotten the chance to sit down with you without Chris here. Uh, no offense to Chris, but it just been a while. And I I do really enjoy these chats. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, as do I. Although I, you know, I'm kind of listening to you guys, and I think I'm kind of redundant every week. I think I'm saying the same thing. That's kind of what this season has turned into. Well, yeah, it, it's been the same story, and that's what we were kind of getting into in the uh, in, in the first segment. Is it's just been overreaction and overreaction. That's how Husker football goes. It's okay, but it's been well. Nebraska's close. Nebraska's close. Nebraska's close, and now we're going to overreact after one game and say, oh, well, now Nebraska's screwed. They're going to go 0-4. So I want to get your take on this, Minnesota. Do you have a reasonable reaction, a non-overreaction reaction to Nebraska's loss against Minnesota? You know, it just some the you know the details or the, the mistakes at the wrong time kind of a thing, I think, come into play in the, in, in the game. And, you know, Minnesota has, has – I think has a good approach under PJ Fleck, and I know you know a lot of Husker fans are just going to get upset when you say anything positive about Fleck. But um, I, I think Minnesota just has a good approach, and you know it plays without a lot of mistakes and plays a gritty kind of uh, football, and and you know it's up there. And Nebraska's had problems with Minnesota, and as you guys pointed out earlier. Um, you know, the Huskers are probably, you're, it's difficult to get up every week, week after week after week, especially, I think, 
uh, given the frustration of some of the losses that Nebraska has had. Um, and that starts to pile up. And when Scott Frost says, you know, they've played for eight consecutive weeks, it's good to have a week off. Um, I accept that as a, as a reasonable uh, explanation uh, for some of it because I just I think it's difficult to get up week after week after week, um, when, especially when you're playing games like Michigan State and Michigan and Oklahoma. You're so close and you don't quite get it done. Um, I just think it wears on you. And, you know, as I've said before, it's, it, you can say that you've got that winning mentality and that you go out there and you believe you're going to win, but, but saying that and actually believing it, getting in that mindset, are two different things. And it's, Nebraska needs to get over that hump, and, and, and the Huskers are not there yet, I think. Well, Mike, what do you make of PJ Flex post game comments? Uh, we heard a little bit from uh, from Scott Frost this morning. We'll play that here in just a bit. Uh, but what do you make of PJ Flex comments that Saturday was showing Minnesota's culture versus Nebraska's skill, and that's that's what the game came down to was culture versus skill. Well, you know, Flex can say that, um, and, and there may be some there may be some truth to that. I, I, I just again, he he has a good system there. You know, last year, how many guys was Minnesota missing and beating Nebraska? I mean, it. Um, you know, so maybe that's part of it. But part that I think Nebraska has more uh, talent, mm-hmm. um, and and you know that's the thing that frustrates Husker fans. And I understand the frustration, um, but I don't accept the attitude that well, Scott Frost must go. It's really difficult to be patient. You know, uh, especially when you look at it over the course of some time, even before uh, Scott got here. But um, that frustration uh, is understandable. But, again, um, you don't get rid of Scott Frost. I don't think you start getting rid of assistant coaches. Um, I think loyalty is an important part of having a solid staff. And, you know, I think Tom Osborne's experience showed that. You know, he, he only had... Uh, he had fewer than 30 assistants over 25 seasons he was coached. Not very many guys left. We're talking to Mike Babcock. Mike, I love what you, you said about the assistant coaches. You know, uh, it's, it's a popular thought that uh, people are thinking maybe some assistant coaches do need to uh, leave after this season. But I, I think it's interesting. You look at how Nebraska's been the past uh, you know, six years. Is is this, I mean, would that be a good idea to, to let some assistant coaches go? Because I have a hard time believing uh, you can get a big name to come and try and fix this with Frost. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with that. And, and again, I think that, that you build some stability on your staff if you can um, with your assistant coaches. And, it, you know, it influences recruiting. I mean, these coaches have recruited guys and and uh, so all of a sudden you start dumping assistant coaches. Um, I thought maybe they bailed on a couple of assistants a little bit too quickly uh, already, but but I think you need that staff stability. That's part of what is going to make you a successful program. And, again, if we're talking about being close, um, you know, and, and, you know, certain things go, go right in Nebraska is all of a sudden – uh, uh, five and three, or you know, better than that. Um, you're not saying the same thing about the coaches. So if the potential is there, um, I think you stay with the guys that uh, that got you here. 
Mike, though, do, do you sense a, a double standard here between the offensive coaches and the defensive coaches? I mean, we, we've seen Cam Taylor Britt early in the year whenever he was trying to outplay himself. Uh, he ended up a couple series on the bench, uh, and, and we saw on Saturday uh, Luke Reimer ended up on the bench a little bit more than he has been this season with uh, Klarovich coming in uh, and, and making some good tackles. Uh, where It just feels like on defense, a couple mistakes, and you're going to be on the bench for a couple series. And on offense, it took – eight sacks against Oklahoma for us to, to finally start making changes along the offensive line. And Adrian, even though he wasn't 100% on Saturday, wasn't making all the plays we expect out of Adrian, uh, was still the guy that ever, did ever really felt like there was going to be a point where uh, a backup was going to come in. Uh, and the same with the running backs. It took them a while before they finally gave Ramir Johnson e- even a chance at it. It took until the Oklahoma game for him to start, finally start getting consistent snaps, uh, even despite the fact that the top running backs weren't getting it done. Do, do you feel a double standard between the offense and the defense on this team? You know, that's, that's a good question. I don't have a good answer for that. I don't know if that's, like, I have some understanding, I guess, in listening to the coaches talk about why the offensive line, they didn't make some changes until they did. You know, um, one of them was putting a true freshman in there. You know, they were, I think they were a little reluctant for that. Um, they talked about uh, Nuili. Uh, you know some some issues that he had, um, but when they were resolved, you know he got in there and he did a good job. Um, I I think there were reasons behind what they did. Um, the running back thing has been a confusing thing for me, to me all season. Um, you know, and Gabe Irvin uh, Jr. he gets hurt, so he's he's out of the picture. And then you know Ramirez gets a shot, and then. Or misstep that gets his shot, and then he doesn't. He doesn't do anything, and uh, you know Ramirez really had stepped up, and then he gets hurt, and uh, it's just kind of confused. Yeah, it had the big game, and then he, you know, kind of kind of backed off of him. That's what that is the one area that confused me the most, I guess. Um, but I don't see what goes on in practice, and you know. Uh, and so I have to accept the fact that, uh, you know, they're seeing things that uh, that I'm not seeing, and these are the guys um, that have earned the opportunity to do it. And if you don't have somebody better, um, you go with what you got. And that's kind of what I've looked at from the standpoint of the offensive line. Um, and with the running back, it's just whoever has been practicing the best. But it all starts up front. you you got to have success in the offensive line, I think. We're talking to Mike Babcock. Mike, I'm curious, you know, looking at the uh, assistant coaches on the offensive side, who has impressed you the most so far this season? Well, if any. I, <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't have a good sense of, like, pulling out what an assistant coach does based on what happens in the game at that position because I don't – I don't evaluate coaches that way. I, that responsibility is Frost, and he, he needs to be the one that makes the determination of whether they're getting the job done. Because ultimately, for me, it all comes back to the head coach. I mean, it's it's ultimately the head coach that's the concern. And you know, we have opportunities to talk to the assistant coaches and so forth. But um, again, the evaluation of it. No, it all comes back to the head coach. He makes the determination. 
Mike, with all this talk between offensive versus defensive, the offensive coaches versus the defensive coaches, we even mentioned just the standard between offense and defense. Do you worry about a fracture in this team with the defense always putting in enough effort to give the offense a chance and the offense never really able to to grasp that chance and go and get the win? Uh, It hasn't been the defense letting this team down late in games. No, it hasn't been, um, but and you might as well throw special teams in there too. Um, mm. You know, that's all part of the deal. But with special teams, you got guys from both offense and defense playing special teams. So, I mean, to me, this is where Frost says that there, you know, he indicates that there's no fracture. I don't think that there is. I hope there isn't because I hope they understand that regardless of how they're playing, it's still the team game. It's still the responsibility. You know, maybe they could get the ball back one more time or something, one more possession. Or, you know, like Minnesota goes on that how-many-play drive to score right at the beginning of the game. Um, Yeah, the defense is out there, and you got to get off the field so that the offense can have an opportunity. Um, It's it's all part of the same thing. You've got to have that team mentality. If there's a fracture, then you're not even close, and it makes you know it makes good sense to me then that uh, well you're not going to probably be successful because if there's any kind of a we're getting the job done but you guys aren't that you can't abide with by that. Mike, last thought here. Appreciate the time, but you, you've been doing this for a while, so I want to ask: Come Saturday, do you have any tried and true methods for beating the bye week blues? Whenever you wake up on Saturday and realize, oh well, the Huskers aren't even playing today. No, no, I don't know. I don't know how that, you know, I was just saying uh, today, I can't believe there's only four games left. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's how fast the season goes. They played eight games already, and it just seemed like yesterday that they're getting ready to play Illinois, and then that was a disaster. Um, and they've battled back from that. But, again, we got the same kind of frustration, only in that case... Nebraska was better than Illinois, so much better. And if they played Illinois later in the season, I think it wouldn't even be close. Mike Babcock with us here, Hale Varsity Radio. You can find him on Twitter, at MDBabs. Mike, good talking to you today. Have a good one, all right? Hey, keep up the good work, guys. And now. And now, back to Hale Varsity Radio. Wednesday edition, Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery, Elijah Herbal and Will Wilson, and you, of course, as we're going to get caught up with Mike Shuhart of Wilderness Ridge here in just a second. But first, let's get caught up with a different Mike. That is Mike up in Minneapolis. I believe this is the Mike I talked to yesterday. Mike, uh, you're on Hale Varsity Radio. Go ahead. That is correct. Thanks for having me on the show. Oh, yeah. Th- thanks for joining on. What, what do you got for us today? I wanted to talk about kind of a fan consensus and then just throw a couple facts at it. So in the run-up to the uh, Nebraska-Minnesota game, you know, the great thing about Husker football, right, is that there's like a million media sources, there's a million Husker podcasts, and, you know, so you listen to a lot of them and you get kind of a good temperature of where everyone's at. And it seemed like the consensus was that, you know, Nebraska felt like they, you know, had had a better team than Minnesota, you know, I think I believe your co-host here even suggested they should win by, you know, a few a few scores, you know, that kind of thing. And then subsequent to the game, it seems like the consensus is that, well, 
you know, Nebraska should have won that game, but they played kind of flat and, you know, made mistakes and whatever. Okay, right. I'd say that's a pretty accurate discussion of or a summary of where the fan base has been at and the media. Yeah, I, I, I'd agree with you on that. Sure. Okay. So then I just want to hit you with a couple facts. So um, Minnesota has beaten Nebraska three out of three consecutive years and four out of the last five. In the last five years, Nebraska has a worse record than Minnesota in every single season. Uh, from 2017 till now, Nebraska's winning record or record is 19 and 33 for a 36 and a half percent winning percentage. Minnesota is 30 and 21 for a 59 percent winning percentage. Uh, since 2017, Nebraska has six NFL draft picks. Minnesota has nine, including a first-round draft pick last year. And since 2017, Minnesota has nine. Or sorry, Nebraska has nine. Uh, all conference picks one first team, while Minnesota has 15 for first team. So I guess my question is, at what point is Nebraska going to, the Nebraska fan base, I'm sure you figured out by now I'm a Gopher fan, going to consider the possibility that Minnesota is just better than you are? Because when I watched the game the last five years, it's pretty even at the skill positions, but Minnesota has been significantly better on the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball. Well, Mike, I'm not, I'm not going to argue with, with the fact here that Minnesota over the past five years has been a better football program than Nebraska, and I don't think many Nebraska fans would argue with you on that one. But football is taken on a year-by-year basis. Nebraska beat Penn State last season. Penn State is in the running for a college football playoff spot this season. So it's not like you can look at this and go, well, Nebraska could have more talent. I mean, P.J. Fleck himself said after the postgame show that that game was a, was a matchup of culture versus skill, and Nebraska, he admitted, uh, could have had the better skill in that game. However, Minnesota's culture put them on top on Saturday. Uh, so I, I still feel very confident in the, in the fact that Nebraska probably had better skill on the field than Minnesota on Saturday, but Minnesota's culture and, and P.J. Fleck just having Scott Frost's number put them on top on Saturday. Uh, so I, I still don't feel wrong in the fact that in saying that Nebraska had more skill than Minnesota on Saturday, and I you really don't feel that uncomfortable saying Nebraska could be the better team than Minnesota this season. Uh, obviously, wins and losses are what matters in football, and that's why Scott Frost is still somewhat on the hot seat around here in Nebraska. Uh, I don't think he's on the imminent hot seat, but there's still uncertainty surrounding Scott Frost, and that's because the wins and losses haven't come despite the fact that there is skill on the field. Sure, and Nebraska beat a mediocre Penn State game team last year, and the year before, Minnesota beat an exceptional Penn State team and route to an 11 win season and a top 10 finish and that's why i'm not going to argue with you that, that minnesota people. has been the better no. program yeah sure and i think that i will say pj is pj doesn't pj's trolling you guys when he says that he knows he has the better players can you really tell me watching the last few years that minnesota hasn't been significantly better than nebraska on the line of scrimmage and if not if nebraska is really the more talented program why is minnesota so much better against the same competition uh, for I mean, for the record, Mike, I don't know if you're talking about me about the co-host who picked uh, Nebraska to win by a few touchdowns. I actually picked us to lose last. I, I think week. he's referring to me. I I definitely okay. picked Nebraska to win um, thirty-five okay. to fourteen. And, and Mike, I, just in, in my opinion, I, I I don't trust Nebraska going into Minneapolis just because of the recent history. I, to me, it kind of feels like a trap game. So uh, to me, it was kind of you know not a surprise that we lost. But oh, here's Will uh, defending himself. I was right. Well, I was right. <laughs> got to. But Mike, hey, well, I'm uh, just wondering then, okay, then look at it. Even in the Big Ten, then why does Minnesota do so much better than Nebraska every year against Big Ten competition? Well, 
Uh, it's a, against the same competition. I, I'm not going to argue with you that Minnesota has been okay. the better program in recent history. And, Mike, thanks for the phone call today. Uh, it's given us a almost a full segment of things to talk about here. Uh, as uh, Nebraska, all I'm going to say is, is football is taken on a year-by-year basis. And you look at the talent that Minnesota fielded on Saturday. They were on their third-string running back. Uh, they had uh, offensive linemen. That were uh, that were hurt. Minnesota has been a team that's been hurt by injuries uh, so far this year, and Nebraska, by and large, has been a team that's been relatively safe from injuries. Uh, so, I don't think it's wrong to say that Nebraska has the skill differential on Minnesota at least this season. And uh, a Nebraska team that comes out with the juice that they had against Michigan, or a Nebraska team that comes out with the juice they had uh, against Northwestern, probably comes up to Minneapolis and is in the lead in that game against Minnesota. I don't feel like I'm being a Husker homer in saying that. I think that's just the facts. Uh, you can see how dead Nebraska's sideline was, how yeah. dead Nebraska's defensive performance was in the first half, and they came out with more juice in the second half, and look what happens. Minnesota was struggling to move the ball, and Nebraska's offense was moving the ball with ease. It came down to those same problems that we've seen from Nebraska, which is red zone efficiency, negative plays, and turnovers. Yeah, and not to mention Adrian's been hurt. I think the last two games uh, we played them. Um, also, Mike, thanks for streaming the show. ESPNLincoln.com. Appreciate you, man. Up up in Minneapolis. Do yeah. it anywhere. Yeah, uh, that brings up a good point. Uh, you can stream the show, ESPNLincoln.com. Uh, you can also do it, iHeartRadio. Uh, what am I forgetting here? Tune in radio. Uh, you can listen on Odyssey. There's a lot of great ways to listen to Hale Varsity Radio. Uh, you can also listen after the show on the Hale Varsity YouTube page, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, really wherever you want to find your podcast, whatever is a convenient way for you to listen, you can listen to Hale Varsity Radio. As well as the show, Will's on here on ESPN Lincoln locally in the mornings, the morning hookup. Yes, with Bill Hooks. That's correct. Uh, uh, speaking of uh, ESPNLincoln.com, what is the word of the hour uh, that listeners can go check on ESPNLincoln.com, enter the word, uh, the chance to win some moolah, some cash? Uh, it's face mask, actually. Face mask. So face mask is the word you can use this hour. Also going to have a chance uh, for you to win some Joe Rogan tickets coming up here to finish up hour one as we have three more pairs of Joe Rogan tickets to give away. This show happening next Friday at Pinnacle Bank Arena. Uh, we have uh, let's see, uh, a call-in chance to win here. Uh, let's call it next 10 minutes the next 10 minutes you'll have your chance uh, to win yourself some joe rogan tickets so you don't want to miss out on that before we get out of here this segment uh, we didn't get a chance to get shoehart called up so uh maybe we'll, we'll do it that quickly to finish up hour one uh, to get connected with mike i uh, don't want to short mike i know he uh, probably has some thoughts from that game he has been uh, a husker fan through and through his whole life so want to get caught up with mike but back to to mike from minneapolis's call Minnesota being the better football program, I don't think Husker fans would deny that. But, Will, based on what you saw on the field on Saturday, would you deny that, that – would you say I'm wrong in saying that Nebraska has the better football team this season? I don't think P.J. Fleck is trolling when he says culture versus skill. Um, I, you know, I don't think you're wrong, but uh, you got to look at the, the numbers too. I mean, we they have our, had our number. Yes. Um, you know, in, in a macro uh, point of view, the, the Minnesota's a better team from that uh, point of view. So – I don't know, uh, but I do agree. I think we we get we recruiting shows that we have better athletes. So. We'll, we'll get into that recruiting uh, a little bit next hour. As Scott Frost talked about that, but Scott Frost and PJ Fleck, I think the beef is real. The beef is real. We'll be back here in just a couple minutes. Hale Varsity Radio presented by the Nebraska Law. Chime in four zero two. 
888-346-1466 ESPN or email the show Chris at HaleVarsity.com Just try me, try me Back to Hale Varsity Radio Wrapping up a first hour of uh, Hale Varsity Radio on a Wednesday. It's Elijah Herbal and Will Wilson. Find us, follow us on Twitter at Herbal Essences for myself, Elijah Herbal, or for Will Wilson. You can find him on Twitter at Willie on the radio. Honestly, probably the best way to get connected with us. Uh, I don't even check my email. I, I just checked my email during the commercial break, actually. I got a, a little interview to get uh, done on Friday, so uh, I had to oh. check the old email. But I, I don't want to say I've grown past the point of uh, like being super reliant on an email. Uh, or I'm, I'm too young for that because like I understand the importance of email, but like on it, like the, the best way to get to me is through text or through or through like Twitter DM. Like, well, you, even if you call me, like there, unless I like am explicitly expecting a call for you, I'm gonna let that thing go to voicemail. Well, the best thing about um, email and radio, I think, is is because uh, you can stay anonymous. Mm. You know, with, with Twitter, uh, you know, everyone can see what you're tweeting. Well, go, go KD burner account on him. Well, you could do that. You could go through all that work, but, uh, you know, email, you could just, you know, send in an email. It could be by a totally different email. It could not, not even your name. Uh, so people don't know who you are. So again, we'll get to your uh, your chance to win Joe Rogan tickets here in just a second. But uh, as we were talking about earlier this hour, Scott Frost meeting with the media this morning, and yeah, he gave an update into the injuries that occurred in the game against Minnesota. That is safety Deontay Williams, as well as running back Ramir Johnson. Deontay had a minor uh, knee injury. Um, he's going to be day to day, week to week. Um, probably be out for a little bit, but he'll, he'll definitely be back this year. Uh, Ramirez was in meetings, everything. He's got to pass uh, protocols uh, to get back into play, but we feel good about it. So Deontay Williams and Ramir Johnson uh, both expected to be back. Uh, we'll see about Deontay Williams. I, I feel while I, I think that Deontay is one of the, the more crucial pieces of that defense, I think the talent behind him uh, can step up, particularly Miles Farmer, who I, I expect is going to be in line for the start against Purdue. Uh, anytime you're talking about a knee injury, that that's usually not a, a one week in your back injury. Uh, with Ramir, I think it's like I mean, concussion protocol. Like it, it couldn't have happened in a, a better week for a concussion to happen. Obviously, you'd never want head injuries to happen. I, I'm not saying that. Don't come after me on Twitter. Don't say I'm I'm saying head injuries are fake and whatnot. Don't don't do that to me. I get it, but uh, with a bye week afterwards, concussions are typically those those injuries that run their course within a week. Um, so it's you'll miss a week of practice, and in the NFL, you're usually back for Sunday. In college football, you can miss a game and then be back two weeks. But with a bye week coming up, like fully expect Ramir Johnson to be back in the lineup, and he's the only running back who has run the ball with any consistency this football season. Yeah, you're kind of catching breaks on both those. Uh, like you said, with Deontay Williams, you got Miles Farmer stepping up, who we have seen before. Um, his, you know, he came into that Penn State game last year, the uh, uh, Northwestern game last year and he had a pick i think he might have even had two picks that game Yeah, and he did a good job coming in against oklahoma this year and yeah. he's kind of been a plug-and-play guy in that nebraska secondary yeah he's somebody he's somebody you could rely on so that's good when you have depth on a team um and also uh you, you talk about um uh, ramir uh yeah we catch a break uh, that it's during a bye week for sure so uh, let's uh, let's get to your chance to win some Joe Rogan tickets here as Joe Rogan, host of the Joe Rogan Experience, a commentator in UFC, former host of Fear Factor. He's done it all. Uh, he is coming to Pinnacle Bank Arena on Friday, 
October, let's get my date right here, Friday, October 29th. He's going to be doing a stand-up act at Pinnacle Bank Arena. It's your chance to win some tickets. Give us a call, 402-466-3776. That's 402-466-ESPN or 1-800-825-5865. We're going to go with caller number five today. Caller number five will win a pair of Joe Rogan tickets at Pinnacle Bank Arena. Give us a call. Hail Varsity Radio coming back uh, next hour with Brad Edwards. Welcome to Hail Varsity Radio, the voice of Husker Nation. Insight, opinion, expertise with the biggest and best names talking Nebraska across the state. Join the show on Twitter at Hale Varsity and at Schmitz underscore radio. Call in at 402-466-ESPN or 1-800-825-5865. Here's Chris Schmitz. Back in, it's Hour 2, Hale Varsity Radio presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Excited to welcome in. Uh, college football insider get his new book dynasty by the numbers at bama dynasty book.com uh, it's brad edwards find him on twitter at j brad edwards and brad it's been a few weeks since we've talked can you believe we're over halfway through this college football season already yeah it's, it's crazy uh how fast it's gone and uh you know continues to be a, a crazy season in many ways um, I, I know there's still the opportunity for a lot of chaos but there's also the opportunity for when all things are said and done, it might be you know some of the usual suspects that are that are still contending for the national title in that playoff. We'll we'll see how it shakes out. I mean, unfortunately, it's been crazy in a in a bad way for your Huskers. <laughs> that it has Nebraska uh, currently sitting at three and five going into the bye week. And and Brad, before we get to Nebraska, just a, a general overarching question here. I've seen some people comparing this season back to the legendary 2007 college football season. Do, do you think we've reached a point where there can be some comparisons there, depending on how the, uh, the last couple weeks of the season goes? Yeah, I think it really depends on what happens from this point forward, because it was, it was kind of the second half of that season where things got really crazy. And one of the things that, that made that season unique, at least to me, as far as the way I remember it, it wasn't just the revolving door in, in the top you know, two of, of the, the polls for most of that year, but it was the fact that there were so many non-traditional powers that ended up being ranked in those spots. And uh, they just kind of you know, kept, kept rotating through there. And uh, you know, the fact that Iowa was at number two, and now Cincinnati, I mean, that certainly is consistent with what we saw in, in 2007. Uh, the, the question is, does it continue or do we just end up with a couple of blue blood slugging it out at the very end? So uh, it'll, it'll be fun to see what happens from here. But, um, you know, some of, the, uh, some of the, the, the fun opportunities for chaos uh, are still out in front of us. And I, I can, you know, come up with a couple scenarios that would be absolute headaches for the selection committee. And, and, and yet, uh, I think we could put them on paper and, and quickly recognize they're not likely to happen. So uh, it, it, we'll, uh, we'll stay tuned. But November, I think, is, is, is the month where things are going to really have to get crazy if we're going to you know, be able to maintain these comparisons to 2007. Brad, I'm excited to get your take on who some of the college football playoffs are, uh, favorites are at the moment. But first, let's get to the Huskers. Uh, excited to get your take on that as well. As it's been new season, yet same old problems for Scott Frost, special teams, turnovers, and penalties rearing their ugly head uh, and uh, costing some games for the Huskers. But there's been clear progress. So I want to get your outsider's take on this Nebraska football team this year and, and the job status of Scott Frost. 
Yeah, look, I mean, like you said, there, there's clear progress. Obviously, um, at, at the end of the day, you want to win games, and, and that's kind of what you're out there playing for is to win games. You, you'd rather, um, you know, get outplayed, get outgained by 150 yards and come away with a W than you would, you know, be able to say that, hey, we looked really good, but we still lost. Uh, and unfortunately, there's been a little bit too much of that for Nebraska. Um, I, I think the the encouraging thing, if you're you know if you're wanting to know, okay, what is Nebraska capable of in the Big Ten? Now, how competitive they can be with Ohio State still remains to be seen. Uh, but yeah, you know, they'll get that opportunity. But but with some of the other teams out there, I mean, they've they've played uh, you know, several opponents with the number to the left of their name, and they have hung right in there with them to the very end. And and, and some of them. They outplayed. And, and so you're looking at a team that, you know, I, I said to Chris the last time we talked, <laughs> just needs to learn how to win. And uh, I never thought I would say that about Nebraska's program, but that's where they are right now. And obviously when you're in that many close games, it's coming down to, you know, one or two plays over the course of 60 minutes, and they just keep finding a way to not make those plays or to make those plays for the other team. And uh, that's what they've got to change. And it's probably one of those things that's just a lot easier said than done. Um, but they're close. They're, I mean, I'm not saying they're close to being a playoff team. But uh, certainly, if you're looking at what happens in the field, they're not very far away from um, being a top 25 caliber team. In fact, I think you could already make that argument that they're top 25 caliber. But there's a difference between being caliber and being actual. <laughs> in order to be an actual top 25 team, you've got to win the majority of the games that right now they're finding a way to lose pretty much all of them. Yeah, Brad, the way I put it is Nebraska's got the, the talent of a top 25 team, but they don't have the execution of a top 25 team with yeah. every single one of their losses this year coming uh, in a one-score ball game. That's been Scott Frost's problem through his first three years in Nebraska, and it's been no different in year four. Uh, now Nebraska... Uh, needs a uh, a couple of wins here to finish the season to get bowl eligible three and one against a tough uh, last four teams. Um, Brad, it, it's not like it's impossible for Nebraska to do here. Uh, however, Purdue, Ohio State, Wisconsin, and Iowa needing to go three and one in those games. Uh, it's, it's a tall tor- tall task. Excuse me. Yeah, it, it is. At the same time, you know, you look at Purdue and Wisconsin, and you say those, those are two very winnable games. And uh, Iowa, I think, showed everybody last week what many people had, had already speculated, which is that this is a team that if they don't get turnovers, um, they're going to have a really hard time scoring. And I, I think you know that's going to be the, the case for Iowa all the season. So, you know, if you're Nebraska, and of course that's, that's something Nebraska has, has, has found a way to do for its opponents so far, is to, to give them opportunities that um, – made life a lot easier for them, but if they can just not make those mistakes and give Iowa easy points, then I think that's an, another game they're capable of winning. So Ohio State's going to be an uphill climb because they're not looking the same way they did in the first three weeks of the season. Uh, but uh, the other three, I, I think, are all very winnable games, but unfortunately they're also very losable the way that Nebraska's been playing. Brad, do you think that loss to Purdue dashed Iowa's college football playoff hopes this year? I, I would say that Iowa is still in it simply because they're going to have a, a – mathematically, they still have a chance to be a one-loss Big Ten team, a Big Ten champion. And so uh, that, I believe, is going to get you in the playoff. Uh, now, 
it, it does depend on what happens elsewhere. I, I, I think you could certainly make a case that if you know if if Alabama were to beat Georgia in the SEC championship game, would you take a one-loss Georgia that's not a conference champ over a one-loss Iowa that is? Um, I wouldn't have any hesitation, you know, believing that I, that Georgia would still be better than Iowa in that scenario, which would give you two SEC teams. And then um, if Oklahoma's undefeated and Cincinnati's undefeated, then you know, then I think you've got a, a real conversation as to whether the, the one-loss Big Ten champ is automatic. Uh, but um, I, I would say the the odds of of Iowa not getting in as a one-loss conference champ are slim. But at the same time, I would say the odds of Iowa being a one-loss conference champ are even slimmer because their margin for error is just ridiculously thin the way that they play and, and just with as little offense as they're able to generate. And so uh, I, 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 just, I have a hard time seeing them win the conference title unless they're able to draw um, somebody other than Ohio State in the conference title game because uh, I, I just cannot see any way they'd hang with the Buckeyes. Brad, before we move down to Bama in Georgia, let, let's get your take on the Big Ten East here. Mel Tucker uh, currently sitting at first in the Big Ten East, and he's made some uh, some good arguments for uh, for Coach of the Year. Uh, but then you also have Michigan, Ohio State, and Penn State. It really feels like if a team's going to come uh, out of the Big Ten to the college football playoff, it's going to come out of the Big Ten East. Uh, what do you make of those top four with uh, Penn State, Ohio State, Michigan, and Michigan State? Yeah, I think it's a really good bounce back for three of those four teams. Obviously, Ohio State was in the national championship game last year, and, and they are uh, they're up there again in contention. Uh, but for those other three, um, a far cry from what last year was. And so give, give all three of them a lot of credit for bouncing back. At the same time, I don't take any of those other three seriously as a national title contender. Uh, obviously, um, you know, Penn State is a, a little bit of a hole right now. Uh, with with its situation having already lost to Iowa, and I, I don't know, you know, what the deal is a quarterback moving forward, um, but the, you know they're going to have a tall order in order to, uh, to to run the table from this point. Um, what, Michigan, while much improved from last year, I, I still don't think is strong enough in the passing game um, to to be a legitimate threat in the college football playoff. Now, does, does that mean that they're not a threat to win the Big Ten at all? Um, I, I can't go that far. I, I, you know, I, I need to see more of Ohio State before I'm completely convinced that uh, their domination over Michigan will continue for at least one more season. Uh, but at the moment, um, you know, I look at you know, Michigan State and just how they've kind of been squeaking by in a lot of these games and, and uh, I, I feel like Ohio State is a very heavy favorite uh, to win that division and then to, uh, to get back to the, uh, the college football playoff. And so uh, I, 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 it wouldn't be the uh, biggest surprise ever if the Buckeyes do manage to, to lose a conference game. And I do think, you know, one more loss, a uh, first conference loss, second of the season overall, would knock them out of the playoff. Um, I, I, I still think they've got a really good chance to be there. And, uh, and you know, the basically – it might have been a surprise in week two when Oregon went into Columbus and won, but I think at the at the end of the year, the Buckeyes will probably be right where everyone expected them to be, which is back in the playoff. Talking with Brad Edwards here on Hale Varsity Radio, get his new book, Dynasty by the Numbers, detailing Alabama's dynasty run over the past 
oh, well, what is it, 12 years uh, since uh, Nick Saban got his first national championship. And, uh, Brad, that's where I want to move next year, down to Alabama. I know you're an Alabama guy. Uh, so Alabama, it really felt like they were having that 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 same classic Alabama year, but then Texas A&M uh, shocked them with that late field goal, Brad. But Alabama's national title hopes here still not out of the picture completely, correct? Yeah, they're, they're still very much in it. I, I think uh, there, there are two ways you can look at it. One is that losing that game to A&M puts them in a position where they almost certainly have to run the table uh, in order to get in the playoff. In other words, they're going to have to beat Georgia in the SEC championship game. Uh, in addition to winning, you know, the other conference games uh, between now and then, which would include a trip to Auburn, which um, which has has been a spot where they've tripped up a number of times under Saban. So that's not one that you can necessarily, uh, you know, write down in pen as a, as a, as a win. But um, I, you know, I, I think Alabama's uh, right there as far as having the the talent to be able to pull it off. As good as Georgia has looked so far. Um, Georgia, as a lot of people know, um, has had its struggles with Alabama specifically and just getting over that hump. And if everything plays out the way that it's currently going, Georgia's going to be favored in that game. And, you know, everybody will have spent the last two months talking about how great Georgia is and the defense is maybe the greatest in college football history and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, um, Georgia doesn't want that. They, they don't want to be considered the favorite against Alabama and have all the pressure on them, but it looks like that's the way everything is shaping up. And, and what I would say is the, the, the positive of that loss for Alabama is that they have a, a very young and inexperienced team. Now, they lost a lot from, from last year's national championship team. And as Saban said after the game, many of the guys on that team have never experienced losing a game, or at least they, they hadn't in a really long time. They kind of forgotten what it's like. And I, 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 depending on what happens to them over the next few weeks, so we'll, we'll, we'll see, you know, how much there actually is to it. I think you could make an argument that maybe they were just kind of coasting on, you know, on their laurels and believing they were really good without necessarily putting in the, uh, the amount of work that they should have been. And, and I, I think the loss to A&M, could be that wake-up call that, that kind of alerts them that they've got to work harder and uh, keep improving in, in ways that they obviously would need to to have any chance to beat a team like Georgia and then obviously you know, beyond that end of the college football playoff. Um, the, the way that they had been playing, if they had survived that A&M game, I, I, could, I could see the possibility that they could have gotten all the way to the SEC title game undefeated and then – you know, have their head handed to them by Georgia. And at that point, I think you're too late in the season to really kind of dig in and, and get better. But um, they have that opportunity now, and, and we'll see. I think at this point it's a question of, you know, what we saw against A&M and even what we saw a few weeks before that um, against Florida when they almost lost in Gainesville. You know, was, was that an issue of intensity, just not being properly focused, or was it an issue of ability? And, and as much talent as they have, um, they're still not as talented as they were last year and then probably not as they were, were the, the couple years before. And I think that's the question right now. Was it just simply a matter of focus, or are these guys just not as good as more recent Alabama teams have been? And we'll, we'll certainly find out in the coming weeks. 
Brad, Brad, hang on the line for us. Uh, a little more coming up with Brad Edwards after the break. Uh, but before uh, we go to break, i got to remind you that there are over 1,500 crashes each year in Nebraska involving an impaired driver. Driving drunk, buzzed, or high is never acceptable, and law enforcement officers are working day and night to stop it before any more people are killed or injured. If you're going to drive, make sure you don't drink. And if you do drink, designate a sober driver or get yourself a ride share. Get a ride because a DUI costs more than you think. Message brought to you by the Nebraska Department of Transportation Highway Safety Office. Before we get out of here uh, for a commercial break, Will, I got to ask you, who do you think, pretender or contender? We were talking with Brad about it. Uh, do you agree with him? Ohio State probably the, the the team to beat in the Big Ten right now, or, or is it still Penn State, Iowa? I don't know. It, it, Oh man, it's it's definitely either oh Michigan too. Throw Michigan in there, definitely one of those four. I, I'm pretty convinced Michigan State is going to come back down to earth here to finish the year. Uh, Iowa, we've already seen come back down to earth just a little bit, and Ohio State really only seems to be hitting their stride. More with Brad Edwards coming up after the break. It's Hale Varsity Radio presented by the Nebraska Lottery. And now, and now back to Hale Varsity Radio. Back in, it's Hale Varsity Radio presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Talking with Brad Edwards here. And Brad, we'll wrap with this. Uh, college football playoff, who do you think's making it in? I don't want to say if the season ends today, um, but it doesn't look like anyone can really touch Cincinnati to finish this season. Uh, Georgia's been incredible. Uh, but but who, who do you think is the, the, the top four that should be making it in if, uh, if all goes to, uh, to plan to finish the season? Yeah, I, I think... That, that's such a difficult question to answer because, in my mind, Georgia and Alabama are clearly two of the four best teams. And that's what the selection committee says they want, the, two, the four best teams. But I also recognize that if Georgia beats Alabama and Alabama has a second loss, they're not getting in. And whether they think they're one of the four best or not, um, they're not going to put them in based on the, the criteria that they – you know, like to look at to consider these teams, uh, barring total chaos in the other conferences between now and then. So, um, you know, you can see a scenario where they both get in. You could see a scenario where the SEC only has one team in, and obviously that's going to be important uh, to what happens elsewhere. And, I, I, you know, I already told you I do expect Ohio State's going to run the table, uh, win the Big Ten with only that one out-of-conference loss. Uh, that should put them in. Um, I you know, if, if Oklahoma is able to, to kind of continue on this uh, offensive path since making the quarterback switch to Caleb Williams, then I, I would think that they've got a, a really good chance to go undefeated, and obviously they would be in as one of those teams if they do that. Um, so, you know, you, you could end up with a situation where you've got Oklahoma, Ohio State, Alabama, and it's the same old, same old. Even, you know, even Georgia has been there in recent years. Um, but then – you know, you mentioned Cincinnati. I think Cincinnati is a fascinating case because it's a team that not only was really good last year and, and took Georgia to the limit in the bowl game, um, but it's a team that started this year in the top ten. They're ranked number two in the polls in the middle of October. And I'm just trying to imagine the outrage if they were to win out from that point and not be given a top four ranking. Mm by the selection committee, but I think it's a possibility just because of the weakness of their schedule. A lot of it will have to do with how Notre Dame finishes and, and how impressive of a win that turns out to be. And then the other one that I, I think is really intriguing is Oregon, you know, because if, if they're able to win out, um, 
you know, they, they could be a one-loss champion just like Ohio State, and while they wouldn't have nearly as many quality wins as the Buckeyes, they would have one quality win, which is in Columbus against Ohio State. And I, I think that would be fascinating to see what the committee would do with uh, the, the, the quality of the schedule on one side versus the head-to-head result on the other. Uh, who would they go with? So uh, those are a couple things to look out for that I think would be really fun if they played out that way. So I, I, I'm kind of down to those teams as the true contenders in my mind. Uh, but, um, you know, if, if, if everything works a certain way, those, those are six teams that all have a really good argument for four spots. And uh, the committee would have a major problem on its hands. Brett, I lied to you. I do have one last thought for you. Uh, and you mentioned Caleb Williams coming in uh, Oklahoma. And I saw something on Twitter this week, someone saying, uh, would it be crazy if he was in Heisman talks, which I think that would be absolutely insane. Uh, but I look at Georgia, and they're clearly the best team in the land, and they don't have a Heisman candidate, which is kind of rare in today's uh, today's college football, that the best player on the best team is usually one of the guys who is uh, in the in the running for the Heisman Trophy. But right now, looks like Bryce Young and, um, and Matt Corral are the top two. Yeah, you would think. Now, Georgia does have a defensive lineman who is absolutely dominant, but I think we would all recognize that the majority of voters, and let's remember there are 900-something people who vote for the Heisman Trophy, and a a lot of them um, are are just guys who cover a a team that's local to them, like a a local newspaper beat writer in in various states across the country. They're not likely to gravitate toward a defensive lineman that they don't know much about. So uh, it probably, like most years, is going to come down to to quarterbacks. And... um, you know, Bryce Young is putting up some really impressive numbers, but if you watch him play, he he doesn't make highlight real plays because he doesn't run very often. Um, I'm just, I don't know, for whatever reason, it just seems difficult for me to believe that he's got a, a real serious chance to win unless everyone else just kind of falls by the wayside. But at the same time, you, you look at, a lot of the other top teams, and uh, like Georgia, a lot of them don't have an offensive player who's really standing out at the moment. And I, 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 I don't know. I think this this is going to be one that I think is going to have a, a lot of ebbs and flows uh, over the final month of the season as far as who's considered the front runner. And um, I wouldn't be surprised if someone who's not even getting a ton of attention right now ends up winning it. But uh, I do agree that. Caleb Williams is a bit of a stretch because he hardly played in the first half of the season. But um, if if he shows how much better that team is with him in there, then it you know it does make a case for him being uh, certainly one of the most outstanding players in college football. Whether you could arrive at him being the most outstanding is I guess what it ultimately comes down to. Brad, I'll just say this: If Indomitian Sue didn't win the Heisman back in '09, Jordan Davis from Georgia will not be winning the Heisman. Yeah, right, you're, <laughs> you're right. Um, because uh, Sue was a one-man wrecking crew. That's not to say there weren't other good players on that defense, but he stood out, you know, just game after game after game. Whereas Georgia's probably got, I don't know, somewhere in the neighborhood of ten guys on that defense who are going to be drafted. Um, so uh, it, it, it's not like it's not like Davis is, is is a one-man show. He certainly is benefiting from talent around him, which makes it really difficult to uh, justify double-teaming him. And then obviously he's just destroying 
teams that are not able to double team him. And so uh, he he's a great player, but there are some other really really good players on that defense uh, that are a big part of what Georgia's being uh, has been able to do on that side of the ball. Brad Edwards, get his new book, Dynasty by the Numbers. Find him on Twitter at jbradedwards. Brad, thanks for the time today. Safe travels. Okay. Thanks, Elijah. Great talking to you. Always love talking to Brad Edwards as uh, we just got a little bit uh, more of a national perspective on college football. We spent much of uh, hour one talking about Nebraska. We can't call it a therapy Monday. Uh, today, well, A, it's not Monday, and B, it just wasn't really a, a therapy session today, uh, trying to be a little bit more uh, analytical and objective with our analysis today. As it's Will Wilson and Elijah Herbal filling in for Chris today. Chris uh, should be back in for the show tomorrow and for the rest of the week. Uh, and, uh, and Will, it's, it's I don't know, it, it's looking at this Big Ten as we were talking about the end of... Uh, end of the first segment uh before we got back around to brad uh where you're looking at this big 10 and it's it's really competitive it's been almost dog eat dog in the big 10 this year uh where even like the the teams at the top feel like they could be susceptible any given week and we saw that last week with iowa yeah you're right uh, you, we mentioned those four teams iowa um ohio state michigan yeah you gotta throw michigan in there penn state uh for sure um is there any team that we're missing well, you're forgetting Michigan State there, but I'm still not in the camp that well. Michigan State much improved from last year. Mel Tucker, as I said uh, with Brad, probably going to be in some Coach of the Year uh, discussions uh, at the conclusion of this season for the job he's done coaching up the Spartans up there. But it, it really doesn't feel like they're. Uh, it feels like yeah, sure, top twenty-five team, but a team that is actually going and competing for a, a Big Ten crown doesn't feel like they're there yet. I mean, out of those four teams, I honestly might put. Ohio State fourth or third because who have they really played and who have they beat? They lost to Oregon. They beat a Minnesota team that was early in the season and, you know, Minnesota, bleh. To Ohio State, they're bleh. Um, and then other than that, Elijah, who has Ohio State beat? Now, coming up, they're going to have a, they're gonna have some tests. They still got to play Michigan State, Michigan, uh, Penn State. They got to they come to Lincoln if that's worth anything. So do you, do you see where I'm coming from that? I, yeah, I, I mean, the, the I, Big Ten teams they've beat this year, Minnesota, uh, who was healthier and probably better in week one than they were last week when they played Nebraska, still a 14-point win for the Buckeyes. Uh, C.J. Stroud kind of turned it on a little bit late uh, in the defense as well. But then the other big t- Rutgers, Maryland, yeah. Akron, Tulsa, those aren't even Big Ten schools. But those are their last four wins. Uh, so... It does feel like C.J. Stroud, though, has been finding more confidence over the past couple weeks. He's been, I mean, Ohio State's receiving core, arguably best in the nation. Uh, So I would hope C.J. Stroud can find his guys. But it really feels like he's been settling in and finding his comfort zone in this Buckeye offense. Yeah, definitely. And again, we're going to see how they look coming up in this final stretch because that's going to be, you know, a big test. Uh, looking at Iowa, I mean, what's their most impressive win? Obviously, it's Penn State. Uh, but you, you, you mentioned it. I mean, that game is is different because, you know, a quarterback went down and... Well, um, well, let's get into it. We were talking about two future opponents on the Huskers' schedule. Do the Huskers still have a, a good path towards 6-6? Six and six? It's tough. It's going to be hard. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but 6-6 six and six is still there. Unlikely, I think it's much more likely Nebraska goes 2-2 two and two or 1-3 and three than 3-1 three and one to finish this season. But... I'm more in the boat that Nebraska's performance against Minnesota was the exception and not the rule. 
And I think there's okay. a lot of a lot of Husker fans out here who are saying like, oh, that's just what Nebraska is. Is whenever the whenever the lights shine bright, they're gonna find a way to lose the football game. And yeah, that's been the story of Scott Frost and Nebraska. But I think this this team is still hungry to go make a bowl game and show their improved. And I, I think they have their work cut out for them f- to finish the season. Yeah, you you hope they come out of this bye week and and really kick it into gear. Maybe this bye week is something we really needed. I mean, Purdue to be in the top twenty five after beating Iowa is. That's that's come on. What that's, do you mean? That's that's reactionary to me. It is, but uh, that's a, that's I, a I Purdue think, team that barely snuck past Illinois. Yeah, you're. I mean, you're right, and we're going to see what Purdue does against Wisconsin this week. Okay, Wisconsin could easily go into Purdue and beat them and and prove you right, uh, or you know prove that you are right. Um, but uh, I don't know Iowa. Who is their best? Uh, I'm sorry, we already went through that Penn State, but before Penn State, uh, I think Iowa was a little overrated, but. Well, it was um, it was their offense that was overrated, mm-hmm. but they got a great. They actually got Spencer, a really good offensive line. Spencer Petrus is like a very middle of the pack, if not lower level, Big Ten quarterback. Uh, he does enough. He's a game manager in that Iowa offense, and so far this year, it's been his defense setting him up. It's been all those interceptions, and now their their secondary is a little bit banged up. And but you saw what it if you just protect the ball, which that's not a, that's not a guarantee with Nebraska to just be able to protect the ball. But if you protect the ball against that Iowa team. Nebraska should go in there with a with a good chance at I hate to say it of uh, making it a one score game. <laughs> I hate to say it, but if it's a one score game, we're not going to win it. But I mean, Scott Frost said he's he's confident that eventually this team is going to figure out a way to get a win in a one score game, and I believe him there. I, I, I believe do too, there. but I'm not I'm not confident that we can't. Right with, with with the law of averages, eventually, eventually something's going to go right for you and something's going to go wrong for the other team. At least Purdue beating Iowa gives us a little hope that it can be done. The, the road to 500, though, Purdue's a winnable football game despite the fact they're still in the top 25. Ohio State, I'm not going to say it's a winnable football game. Ohio State has the, the talent advantage. Uh, it comes down to the fact that they're just a little bit more untested. Uh, as for Wisconsin, another winnable football game, but Camp Randall's scary. And then Iowa to finish the year, it's 6-6 six and six still on the table, but unlikely. More coming up after the break. Hail Varsity Radio. Chime in 402-466-ESPN or email the show, chris at hailvarsity.com. Just try me, try me. Back to Hail Varsity Radio. Time is just flying by here on a Wednesday as we're here to the last 20 minutes already of Hail Varsity Radio. It's presented by the Nebraska Lottery, Elijah Herbal, Will Wilson, and you, as uh, Chris back in on the show tomorrow, we, we finished up last segment talking Nebraska's path to 500. It's still there. It's unlikely. I'm not going to sugarcoat things. Uh, this Husker team has shown throughout this season. I mean, what, what they need to go do is put in at least three gritty performances to finish this season. And they've been showing the gritty performances, but the gritty performances haven't been enough. It could get a little bit demoralizing. Scott Frost hit on that at his press conference this morning, uh, asking the question, uh, I guess the question was asked of Scott, will this team roll over after some uh, some demoralizing losses, some demoralizing one-score losses, followed up by a, a flat performance against Minnesota? I, I don't think this is going to happen with this team. Um, in years past, I think it might have happened. This, this team, there's no quit in these guys. Um, they came to work yesterday. They came to work today. Uh, that's been improving. I can't tell you how far that's come, just the attitude and, and culture in the locker room. Um, so I'm not worried about that. Um, guys will come fight. I mean, it, it's, yeah. 
He's right. I love how he mentioned um, maybe a team last year or the team before might have done that because uh, that's exactly what I was thinking. You think about some games, the Oklahoma game, uh, the Michigan game. Those are two games that a team before this one probably would have rolled over. Uh, but we've shown that we did not do that. I don't think there's a game we really rolled over uh, really thinking about it. Not yet. You know, I, I agree with Frost. It just doesn't seem like a team that would do that. And the team showed they didn't roll over against Minnesota. That that was a – I'm with you. That's a game two years ago. I mean, we saw it whenever Nebraska went up to, to Minnesota two years ago. I, I, it was a good Minnesota team. We had Mike from Minneapolis calling last hour and say it's an 11-1 football team, and yeah, it was. Uh, however, Minnesota was the better football team that day skill-wise, but it wasn't as – far a gap as the final score would lead you to believe. Nebraska had uh, probably a better offensive line two years ago than they do right now. Yeah. I mean, Nebraska rolled over in that game against Minnesota. That game was at, uh, over after Minnesota went up 14 to nothing. Yeah. Ugly. And, and this past Saturday, Nebraska did not roll over whenever they were down two scores to this Minnesota football team. They came back out in the in the second half with a fire. They needed that first that fire in the first half, but rather than demoralize the team, it lit a fire underneath them at halftime, and they came out in the second half much stronger. They're still the same old issues. Nebraska isn't a good enough football team to be able to not play the first half at full intensity and still hope to be able to win the football game. That's, that's I, not where Nebraska's at. I see what you're saying, but you mentioned the two-score thing. I mean, if we don't score that garbage-time touchdown, it's a two-score game. Is that garbage time? I mean, the, the the real difference was whenever Minnesota was able to... I guess... To, I can, I'm sorry. Uh, no, you're right. It's not garbage time. But it was at the end of the game, you know, it, it was a two-score game with a minute left, you know. Yeah, yeah. Two-touchdown um, game. The, the the difference was... Uh, um. Let's see. I'm getting my I'm getting my games mixed up here. I was thinking back to the the Broncos Raiders game because uh, I'm I'm sad about my Broncos. It was a, it was a tough weekend for me if you can't tell with uh, the Raiders beating the Broncos. Uh, but I mean Nebraska's still in that game late. They had, they had a chance to take the lead in the fourth quarter. Uh, I'm not going to call that garbage time. No, and I, I I'll admit I was wrong. No, it's not necessarily garbage time. I mean, but... and Nebraska had the ball with a chance to go down and and win the football game late right but we were losing mo- all the whole game yeah, i yeah. mean uh, but no we agree that this isn't a team that will probably roll over especially out of the, out of a bye week mm-hmm. he hoped that doesn't happen scott frost also this morning talking about what uh, the coaching staff is going to be focused on during a bye week and, and that's I mean, recruiting. They haven't had much time to, to be doing it recently, and there's been a lot made in the, the Husker media of some decommits from this Husker recruiting class. And, and, and Scott kind of detailed uh, what they want to be doing uh, with this recruiting class coming up for the upcoming football season. That's been tough, you know, particularly being in Nebraska and not being able to get out. Our coaches haven't been on the road, you said 600 days, uh, 620 days. It's been a long time. You know, it's just unfortunate. Um, you know, th- this recruiting class, we're going to focus on um, maybe some immediate impact guys a little more. Uh, probably not sign as many freshmen. Um, when you're as close as we've been, one or two more pieces, one or two more guys will get you over the hump. Uh, so we're probably going to look to transfer portal a little more, look to junior college a little more, and, and uh, focus on those things to, to make sure we replace a couple guys we might be losing and, and try to add just a couple more pieces I think we need. So, do we think that Nebraska is fine with these decommits because they understand that bringing a freshman is, isn't going to help right away? I mean, Scott Frost sees the, the, the ticking time he's got. I think Th- that is such a good point. It, like that, that ending to that, 
where it sounds like, yeah, we're going to have to go to the portal. We haven't seen, like, too much of that. Um, and it, to me, it seems like they think that they're running out of time. That's what I kind of got from you there. I don't think they're running. Like, I don't think they're, you know, this is the last year. But that's what it kind of sounds like. You're like, okay, we don't have time to get some freshmen in here and, and develop them. So, I mean, the, the, the talk around Husker Nation here is the development we've seen this year is okay. Like, we, we see that, that their progress has been made on the field. They're close this year. Uh, it's plays here and there. It's uh, a position group here and there uh, that needs to get a little bit better. And the the three and five record could easily be flipped to five and three. And uh, the mood around Husker Nation this week is much different. If the, if the record is just five and three this week as opposed to three and five. I think we're bad luck. So I'm, I think Scott knows that this isn't the year where he's going to be seeing the road uh, should Nebraska not make a bowl game. By the way, bad luck, I mean, I think you and I are bad luck because we interviewed our latest decommit. Mm. It was you and I who interviewed him when he committed, and now he's not coming here. So I think we don't need to be interviewing uh, recruits together, at least. He was a good interview, too. He was great. Hayden Schwartz, uh, defense lineman from, I believe, the Bowl School down in Texas. Uh, No, I thought he was from Florida. Bowl School down in Florida. That's right. That's right. Good kid. Like talking to him. Yeah, he was, uh, he was a good character. Um, but if, if you haven't heard Hayden Schwartz now decommitting from the Husker class, but I, I think Scott Frost is right on the money. There, there are position groups which need immediate help. And in the Big Ten, you oftentimes, I mean, we saw how long it even took Pro Hoshka to see the field, and he was by far and away the best left tackle Nebraska had, and that's small sample size. Probably shouldn't get too far ahead of myself there. But small sample size, he came in and performed admirably, admirably as a true freshman. Yeah. And other than Wandale Robinson, who have been the true freshman coming in and performing well for Nebraska. It's frustrating because you had Ben Hart and, and Cochran, uh, both very high, highly touted recruits who are who got here. And, you know, we haven't seen much. I know uh, Cochran's dealing with an injury, which sucks. Uh, ben Hart, you know, it's it's tough to kind of uh, speak on his performance. Ben, I, I ben think, Hart's development hasn't been where I'd like it to be, no, to, I, to put it bluntly. He's got to have a strong end of the season here. But but then you look at what Nebraska's transfers, Samari Toure, uh, looking great this so far this football season. Tyreek Johnson immediately came in, and uh, uh, he, he didn't get much Hasn't gotten much playtime this year, yeah, Tyreek Johnson he, from Ohio State. However, he's still been involved in the two deep, and he's still been pushing guys. He hasn't uh, gotten much playtime at all. I, I I don't think he's got a stat out there. I think he maybe played a few uh, snaps in, with Fordham. I'm very surprised by why, why we're not seeing him. Maybe there's just no room for him right now. Yeah, I mean, look look at the second. I mean, it's been the four guys you've been seeing. Quentin Newsom, who's been playing well and has earned his spot this year. The two safeties, uh, and Markel Dismuke and, uh, and Deontay Williams and Cam Taylor-Britt. The secondary's been solid, so I don't think you've had real reason to see him. Uh, if you're calling in, hang on the line. We'll get to you after the break. But Nebraska needs immediate help. A lot. Of, I mean, running back. We'll, we'll see what another year of development does for Amir Johnson, uh, as well as Jacquez Yant. But offensive line needs some immediate help. Uh, we'll see if Austin Allen decides to uh, to be. Uh, he will be gone after this season, so we'll see what they uh, they think of the development of Fedoni. There's some holes that could be filled through the transfer portal, and it sounds like that's where the Husker coaching staff is going next. We'll wrap up after this. And now, and now back to Hale Varsity Radio. Wrapping up a Wednesday here on Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. It's Elijah Herbal and Will Wilson, and we also have Chris joining us. Chris has been waiting patiently on the line through the break, uh, which uh, I don't know. Does that mean he's about to, to come at me, Will? 
Warn me here. No, no, no he's not. Chris is a good guy. If he's, he calls if, he's been, all the time. if he's been waiting around this long, though, I'm a little bit worried. Chris, you're on the line with Hale Varsity. What do you got for us today? Uh, no, but I just uh, I don't think Torrey is going to be very much of a loss. Um, he's been really non-existent in the Big Ten games, except for Northwestern. The four losses, he's been non-existent. He was uh, very uh, key in the loss to Michigan State, running that horrible route that uh, led to the interception in overtime. You know, it just begs the question: Why, why wasn't he benched like Betts would have been? Um, you know, for running that horrible route. Um, you know, Betts or some of the other uh, skilled players do what Torre did, and they wouldn't see the field for you know who knows how long. So I, I think Frost is just plays too many favorites, and and you know there's going to be some addition by subtraction next year. I think I think Torre is going to be much of a loss. Well, well Chris, I, I just want to ask you. From if you were a defensive coordinator scouting for this Nebraska team, which pass catchers would you be focused on in your game plan? If you've watched the whole the whole breadth of Nebraska's film up to this point, I mean, Betts is the Betts? one that every time he catches the ball because he, you know, I mean, Torrey's got some big plays where you know he's, he's deep downfield already uh, and, and was kind of schemed open. Um, Betts, I mean, he catches the ball and I'm like, hell, he's going to go. Um, yep. You know, I mean, he. You know, in his big play in Northwestern was, you know, 80 yards. He caught the ball behind the line of scrimmage, and boom, he's gone. That's just the one. I just have to tell him, hey, you know, they don't play him, but if you ever see him on the field, watch him. You know, I mean, you know, we'll have to put somebody over the top to help cover him or something. Um, Betts is the, you know, and Rare Johnson, I mean, his first of his freshman year seasons, he was he was playing great at the end of the year in his first of the three freshman seasons, uh, and, and then he didn't play you know, until just a few games ago again. So, um, but I just, you know, Ture in, in four losses in the Big Ten games has less than 120 yards total receiving. He had one catch for one yard last week. I think the guy is incredibly overrated. Well, to me, that shows me whenever the, the defense is able to shut down Samari Ture, they're able to have a lot more success. That's what that's telling me. And I, I'm not meaning to be a Samari Tourist, a, a, a Samari Ture, I should say, apologist here by any means. Because um, I mean, I'm with you. I don't think he's the. I don't think he's the the saving grace this Husker football team, but I don't think it's it's going to be oh let's great for Nebraska. Samari Toure is on the road. It just shows me that whenever teams scheme for Samari Toure and find a way to shut him down, this Husker offense struggles. It, it, the two guys I circle whenever they play well, the Nebraska offense plays well. It's Samari Toure and Austin Allen. Yeah, those um, the, those are the two guys. Me whenever are Adrian Martinez able to find those guys with consistency, the Nebraska offense is able to move the ball with success. I, I and I also I mean just looking at Samari I mean he's leading the team in yards and touchdowns like I don't know how you argue with that and also like it, I know he just had one yard last week but uh, for the longest time we complained how this team could not throw the ball downfield and I mean he's had our biggest plays some of our biggest plays so I mean, can't argue with that. Uh, yeah, I'm. I'm not on the Samari Toure. Uh, we're gonna we're, we're gonna be happy and let's see who's behind him whenever he's gone. Because I think whenever Samari Toure is on it and whenever Samari Toure is able to get open, the Husker offense looks completely different. Uh, and I don't think it's all on him. I don't think it's his skill level that's for the reason he's not getting open. I think it's he's in that slot position. He's running crossing routes. He's running through the safeties, and I think the the teams are, are scheming him. Uh, but that's just me. You're uh, you are f- free to have your opinion, Chris. Uh, I don't mean to be coming at you here by any means. Uh, I'm just not with that. Hill Varsity Radio wrapping up on a Wednesday. Chris Schmidt back in tomorrow afternoon.